Welcome to the Agile Career Podcast, where we will take you on the journey from employed for life to employable for life. We'll give you the tips, insights, and strategies to help you build the transferable skills that you'll need. So let's get started. Please welcome your host, Gunter Richter. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Agile Career Podcast. Uh, this is episode 19, and as usual, uh, I've got a very uh, interesting guest that's joining me today. And as you know, on all of these shows, we talk about career changes. Uh, some are big, some are small, some of them are role changes. Um, but my guest today is going to share her story of a really big jump, and that is giving up a secure job in London and moving all the way to Thailand. But um, without giving too much away, I'd like to introduce and welcome Helen Peatfields to the show. Uh, Helen, uh, welcome. I'm glad to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and I'm glad the timing differences have worked. Uh, as I said earlier in the introduction, you, you're coming, um, coming onto the podcast from Thailand. So uh, that's probably the guest we've furthest away we've had on the podcast so far. So, um, so, so you're, a, you're a first. Um, all right, before we get into some of the detail, do you want to spend a few moments introducing yourself and talking a little bit about what it is you do now? Yeah, sure. So what I do now, um, my primary business is uh, I'm a copywriter. A conversion copywriter. So that means that I help businesses um, hone their messaging and make sure that their website or landing page actually converts um, and they are actually making money out of it. Um, so, and also most of my customers, um, it's worth noting, are B2B tech companies, a lot of them are SaaS companies. Um, so yeah, it, but there, there's been a few tangents and, um, trials and tribulations getting to that point. <laughs> I guess with, with anyone's career, you know, there's always been challenges that we work through, but, um, uh, I think you're probably mm -hmm. going to speak about some very unique ones as we go through your story. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, so I guess thinking back and uh, looking at what you did, uh, you know, study-wise after school, uh, it, I think it was pretty aligned to what you do now in terms of, I guess, uh, languages and, and arts and that sort of thing. Starting off, what was your view around careers and where you thought you wanted to go and what sort of jobs you thought you'd be doing? So here's, here's one of the many hidden facts from my uh, career journey, because we don't always want to outline every misstep we took along the way, right? So when I first uh, decided I wanted to go to university and take higher education, I thought I wanted to be a school teacher of small children. And um, so my first uh, foray was into a degree program called a BAQTS, which in, rather than a usual path where you do a degree and then one year afterwards, it's a three year just learning how to teach children course. And then two years into it, I decided, I don't think I'm school teacher material. Um, <laughs> so there's probably a bit of a pattern in my life where, uh, you know, I've, I've noticed that, you know, I, I'm not necessarily on the right path. Luckily, they let me switch into um, an English literature degree, um, which does sound like it is well aligned with conversion, conversion copywriting, but actually I've had to unlearn a lot of what I was taught in that course about how we write. I don't know how many listeners have been in higher education, but um, you know, you're used to having word counts and filling them up and filling them up with all the big words you know, and conversion copywriting is very often the exact opposite of that. 
<laughs> yes, on one side, you've got Emily Bronte. And as you say, on the other side, you've got to write copy that converts and is succinct and, and gets readers really engaged, you know, without having to go eight chapters into a book before um, they, they exactly. learn anything about the characters. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good way to describe it. And uh, I think it's very pertinent that you mentioned, you know, you, you set off on this path of becoming a teacher and realized after a couple of years that it wasn't what you wanted to do. And there seems to be a lot of discussion nowadays around people entering higher education or thinking, is this the right thing for me, you know, with a massive cost per year, I'm going to mm -hmm. come out of a three or four year degree with masses of debt. And I don't even know if I'll be able to get a job. So um, I think, you know, these are questions that everyone asks themselves. I think it's such a young age, you know, but if you're going to try and peg what career you want at 18, I, I just think it's so young. You know, my stepson is 23, you know, when he was 18, he had no idea what he wanted to do. And he'd been through all sorts of ideas about what he wanted to do. I think it's just very, very difficult for anyone aged 18 to envisage their life, you know, five years, let alone 15, 20 years into the future. So, you know, I think it's far more important if you do decide you want to go into higher education, I think it's far more important to follow something you're passionate about. Um, and, uh, and, and take it from there rather than, you know, unless you know you've been dreaming of growing up to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, going to the sciences where you know you're going to need that kind of education. But if you're a bit like me where I had a curious mind, I wanted to string out education for a little bit longer, I was having a good time being a teenager. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, in, in those days, a lot of the costs were covered. We didn't have to pay everything towards our tuition. Um, you know, we got decent student loans, but that's not the case for everybody around the world. So yeah, I would say go with something that you know you're passionate about rather than, you know, something, you know, pegging everything, you know, betting everything on black, you know, is yeah, kind of how it, it fell. <laughs> all your eggs in one basket and, um, I think it is, it is difficult when you're 18 uh, or, or that age. And, you know, I think certainly nowadays there's probably a lot more guidance around in terms of careers and that sort of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But certainly, you know, from previous guests on the show, you know, the, uh, the advice from their guidance counselors was you're either going into mining, um, uh, into a mining quarry or the army, or, you know, you're going to end up unemployed, wow. you, you know, and I think, you know, that's going back to the seventies. So it's probably a bit extreme, yeah. but um I think the constant message that comes through from all of these interviews and the guests that I have on the podcast is, you know, you really do need to take charge of your career and your development uh, mm -hmm. because ultimately you can have mentors, which is, is great. And we'll talk about mentorship a little bit later that can set you off in the right way and perhaps correct you as you on that journey. But ultimately I guess it's not your parents uh, and it's not your teachers and not your guidance counselor that is responsible for your career. It's you. Yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> and in the school I went to, I went to a grammar school, which I don't know if all of your listeners would know what that is if they're from outside the UK, but grammar school is something that happens only in a few counties where you take this exam at 11 and they decide which kind of school you're going into. So the kind of school I went to was if you're not going to be like a teacher, doctor, lawyer, something like that, then you are essentially a failure was the kind of message that they give to kids which was you know this huge hugely problematic I know um, and and then probably on the other spectrum the kids that went to the other schools they're getting told well you're probably going to be this this or this 
Um, and uh, yeah, and I wonder how much that shapes, a, you know, because you are still a, you know, essentially a, a form, still forming as an adult at that, that age. I wonder how much that affects people and for how long that sticks with them, you know, what they've been told their potential is or what they should be achieving. Or, or many people will continue with that career path and end up in careers that they are unhappy with or that are, are not fulfilling. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it becomes highly stressful, I think. You know, it, it just yeah. becomes a kind of paycheck-driven thing and there's, there's sort of no purpose or meaning. And, um, mm-hmm. But it's never too late. It's never too late to change. And I think, you know, that's also the message of this podcast is helping people yeah. make those changes or, or decisions, whether it's earlier on in the career or later. So, yeah. So I guess then you came out of university with this English uh, literature uh, degree, but you ended up working off in probably the tech space, like like most of us do. Um, yeah. What was that transition like, moving from that academic environment into uh, into working in the tech space? So I guess you know the the main thread is is probably not so much the tech, but a salesy sort of thread. Mm-hmm. So if, while I was still um, doing A-levels or at, at college level, pre-university, um, I had one particular part-time job among the many, you know, that paid for my, for my Alco Pops. Um, one particular part-time job was selling double glazing. Now, not actually going into the house and selling the double glazing, but phoning unsuspecting person after unsuspecting person (laughs) when they're trying to bath their kids watch you know their favorite tv show or whatever and pitching them double glazing they probably didn't need and trying to get them to agree to have me send a salesperson around to their house so i guess you know what i fell back on is you come out with an arts degree and think well i'm well what do i do now um, so, you know, I came up with the arts degree, but I thought, well, I can do sales. So I went into a job. My first job was for, um, a, a telecoms, like a B2B telecoms reseller. Right. They sold Alcatel phone systems. I, I, I remember, uh, I remember s- the mobile phones even. <laughs> oh yeah. They, they were unbreakable. <laughs> um, really unbre- more unbreakable than the Nokia's. So yeah, they sold those business systems into, small and medium-sized businesses so my job then was split between doing cold calling which I'd done before and doing some marketing stuff and actually that's the first thinking about it that's the first time I ever wrote copy it was the worst copy and it was full of words like paradigm shift and (laughs) everything that we tell people to try and avoid you know in their copy unless that's how your actual customers speak um so yeah so it that was kind of the thread that carried me through and then from there, I was uh, working selling mailing lists or, you know, renting mm-hmm. mailing lists from those, uh, those, those mail out things people used to get to, you know, try and win competitions and, and they were all opt-in lists. Then, then email hap- happened. God, I sound really <laughs> old now. Um, but people started to migrate from doing so much direct mail to doing more email because it was so much more cost effective. Um, and then from there, finally, I think I, the big, there was a big jump from that to getting into display advertising where I was managing campaigns for massive advertisers like, uh, I mean, L'Oreal, every, everything from McDonald's to L'Oreal to Virgin, um, big, 
you know, big spenders. And um, that sort of took me a little bit away from the hard sell jobs and a little bit more into um, like relationship management side and managing ad campaigns and making sure that my clients got a return on investment. So that's probably where you know, I started to get to grips with, it's not just about targeting. It's not just about, you know, my sales skills. Um, there's a lot more going on under the hood when it comes to sales and marketing. And I guess, I mean, there's a kind of emerging theme there as you talk through those roles and, um, you know, it almost kind of moves further and further away from the formal education you've gone through and it's developing <laughs> those relationship building skills and those sales skills and, probably some others, uh, you know, the, the, the cold calling for double glazing. I mean, what, what a better way to teach you with, you know, to teach you to deal with rejection. Oh uh, man, that was brutal. I mean, you get, and, and quite, quite understandably so, you know, you're trying to cook the dinner and bath the kids at the same time. And some 16 year old tries to get a salesman around your house. And um, yeah, you get a lot of rejection and it's, it's not nicely worded. <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly up to, well, through, through, through those, those, those sort of sales jobs, um, I guess there were a set of skills that you were building and um, potentially subconsciously, um yeah. you, you know what did those uh, when you moved forward then into i guess the the more um i think you you talked about the um this display advertising and you know moving away from the sort of coal face of selling to the relationship management which i guess was your your career at expen- exponential mm. you know what are those skills that you feel you lifted and shifted from uh, your sort of early sales jobs into that corporate environment well i mean if we if we sort of set aside that horrible cold calling job a little bit and say, okay, that's how we used to sell in the olden days. <laughs> and some people still do, um, you know, cold calling is still, you know, perfectly valid model, but you know, we're not so, uh, we're not so brutal about it now, but I, I think, you know, the, the, the force multiplier is probably learning to not um, speak over your potential customer, start listening to your customer, empathize, understand what their problems are. So for example, you know, we, if I had a, a client, they might be working for a big agency and you imagine some of my clients, they're people in their team that might be in their early twenties and they've been tasked with buying media, buying, dealing with ad spend that is hundreds of thousands of dollars for a huge brand name. And sometimes they're a little out of their depth. So then it moves from, you know, me just trying to push things on them to how can I help this person succeed? Um, how can, what problems do they have? If they don't know how to calculate, you know, the return on ad spend, um, I will give them a spreadsheet with a formula in it. <laughs> you know, if they didn't know how to explain something to their boss or to their client, I could write the presentation for them. They could stick their name on it. Um, so it, it, is a fun, it is a fundamental shift away from just trying to push my wants and needs onto somebody and, and listening to their wants and needs and then providing that. I yeah, think no. that's, that's the shift. <laughs> yeah, and then that's uh, just, you know, to draw out a point you made there, which is very good around, say, you know, how, how can I help this person succeed? And, you know, often in the consulting business um, or any business where we're selling our time or our advice, you know, it's sometimes difficult to get that balance right. And, and you know, you want customers to walk away with, with that value that you're delivering mm-hmm. um, and see that very much as a kind of win-win situation. 
um, you yes. know, not, not, not just someone that's going to come in and disrupt your organization and, and, and walk away with a, a mess left behind. So I think that's a, a really yes. good point you touched on there. But I, I guess then after, say, four and a half years at Exponential, um, it, it, things changed. And uh, yes. <laughs> you, you were thinking about your next move. Yeah, so um, Exponential was awesome, actually, because we, that, that business, it, it was, I came in at a time when they were new in the UK and EU market. So it felt like a startup vibe, but backed by an already thriving US business. So it was really, really fun. And then, um, then they were planning to IPO. And of uh, if if a company is planning to um, IPO and you know float or whatever, then suddenly new rules come in. Things get a little bit more corporate. We'd grown from I think I was number six or seven in the UK office, and then we had like sixty people around Europe by the time I left in, in those few short years. Um, so things did change. Um, a lot of the change was good. Um, some of it was difficult to swallow. But the main, the main reason for my leap, um, which we're about to get to, it's like the longest open loop. We call this an open loop in copywriting where you just keep people hanging on <laughs> for the story. Even scrolling. Um, yeah. So the, 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 the thing that made me change is, is I think it was more pull than push. Um, we, my husband and I went on a holiday to this little island in, in Thailand in January. And we did scuba diving lessons and kind of fell in love with that. And then went back to London in January from this beautiful <laughs> tropical island. So you can imagine, and it, Thailand is known as the land of smiles. So you go from this warm, tropical, beautiful island where you've been looking at fish all, all day and night and learning new skills and drinking cheap beer. And then you land in London in January. Don't and, smile um, at anyone on public transport. <laughs> I know. Otherwise they think you're, yeah, there's something not quite right there. So, um, yeah, so that was, um, that was a bit of a shock to the system. And we planned another holiday, like within like five minutes of being home. <laughs> um, and it was that second holiday to Thailand where we had, well, my husband actually in truth had wanted to move to another country for a long time. And I was the resistor. <laughs> I was the one with all the fear. I was the one who was kind of enjoying my career. Um, although it was, you know, I was looking at people ahead of me and they weren't necessarily, their life wasn't necessarily the life I wanted. Okay. So it's like, well, yeah, I'm climbing this ladder, but what I'm seeing from the people who are a few rungs up is not where I want to be. Um, a lot of people getting gout from all these client lunches and mm -hmm. <laughs> stress and, uh, you know, not necessarily very happy home lives because we, everyone was working really long hours. Um, and you'd think it was brain surgery the way that, you know, people get stressed out about campaigns. Um, so, yeah, so we ca I came back to all of that, um, had this second holiday and had an epiphany on the beach. I know what a cliche, right? <laughs> but it just uh, dawned on us. Why do we spend... Why do I spend 50 weeks of the year somewhere I'm not happy just so I can spend two weeks of the year Absolutely. somewhere I am happy? And you know what? A million people could have told me that and I would never have listened. But it has to be sometimes the right time 
in the right place and you have to be ready I, I don't want to sound too woo but you have to be ready <laughs> to kind of receive that you know like message from your own mind I'm not talking about anything <laughs> like higher spiritual stuff but for me you know you have to be receptive to this idea that's forming in your own mind um so yeah so we it, we didn't we didn't just um it's not quite as romantic as you know we didn't even bother flying back but we went back we made a plan we saved up and we moved here a few years later and I think I mean the the, the one thing you mentioned uh, there which was um I'm just checking my notes as we go through is that it was more pull than push and I, mm -hmm. I think that's really key because often people tend to make decisions based on on push you know whether it's being pushed from that unhappy career or um mm -hmm relationship or whatever it is but but you know let's let's think careers and if you make a decision based on push you always look back and and think what what might have happened but where mm -hmm. something tends to happen with pull uh yeah. you know you tend not to look back and you it's there's a reason why you've you've moved forward in that manner so i think that's a yeah. really good bit that you drew on there <laughs> yeah oh some things have been push <laughs> <laughs> You know, but yeah, that was definitely, I mean, the pull was Thailand. The pull was, I want a different lifestyle. I don't want to be getting up at the same time every day, getting on the Northern line, you know, um, getting into work when it's dark, getting home when it's dark. I just, I was tired of that. I was 35 by then. I know that might sound young to some and really old to other listeners, um, but it was definitely my time to change. The other factor was, the company IPO window closed, it didn't happen. So ah. I would have, may have walked away with uh, enough money to buy a plot of land out here, but it didn't happen. So it's like, right, that's not happened, we go now. So our plan was actually save up the money to make it happen in case this cash, cash bonus windfall doesn't happen. And we came with the bare bones that we'd saved up instead. So we still made it happen. So we had this like plan B, actually save up money which is kind of boring right <laughs> i was kind of hoping for this windfall from my share options um but when that didn't come it's like right we're going anyway i'm done yeah let's not wait <laughs> around for another go at uh, at uh, floating the company so <laughs> yes, as you say exactly. that the time was right and uh, there was that window of opportunity and and you took it so i mean what was your thinking then so you're moving to this new country and you you, you know you've listed out some some really great reasons in terms of I suppose the lifestyle and the weather and, and not having to, to get onto the Northern line on a daily basis. But, you know, I guess there wasn't a, and you weren't moving to mainland Thailand either, I guess. So no. you know, it wasn't like there was an ad agency on your Island that you were going to. No. What so was your the, thinking? <laughs> what was my thinking? <laughs> and this is where it gets a bit weird. Um, so my thinking was, I'm going to be a scuba diving instructor. <laughs> It, it makes it makes sense on a, on a you know tropical paradise island. So I actually did it, um, and it was kind of hard. You have to go back to school. You have to study books. You have to do maths again. There's a lot of maths and physiology and all of this kind of thing. Um, but it was quite rewarding just learning that in itself. And then I, I think I managed to last about a year as a dive instructor because anything that glamorous as a job. It's probably not very well paid and that's fine for a lot of people, but I'd come from a fairly well paid job and I had, a, I, I wanted a certain standard of living. So, 
you know, and it's very competitive here, the scuba diving. So, um, so you, you, you can get, you can make good money from scuba diving in some parts of the world, but here you're never going to, you know, you're never going to make much. Um, so it really has to be like, you know, you have to be all in just wanting to do that every day. Um, for me, I started to get like backache. You know, a lot of my colleagues were like 25 and I was 35 and I'm starting to get backaches from moving these tanks around. I had a great washboard stomach though because we couldn't really afford to eat properly and we we're doing a lot of exercise. So I looked great <laughs> for about a year. <laughs> and that's how the copywriting started actually. So because we weren't making a huge amount of money from doing this, but we were enjoying it, I started to look at ways of making money online. And I thought, well, I can write words. And uh, apparently people pay for words to be written. So I started scouring the sites, um, you know, like Upwork and so on. And actually the site I, I mainly used was People Per Hour, which is a great place to start off if you want to build a little portfolio but don't i i wouldn't recommend sticking around too long because that's where i kind of got stuck for a while good point <laughs> so <laughs> if if you're on those kinds of platforms although i i do know a few people that say that they find great clients from there and what you end up doing uh, or what i ended up doing was I believed that the value was what I was seeing on that marketplace. I believed that was my value. So, you know, I thought that it was normal to get paid, you know, $10 for a, a 500 word blog article. Um, I believed that, you know, I'd have to have a years of experience to make $20 for an article. And so, you know, being all the way out here, that had its disadvantages. You know, I, I was used to being, a, you know, being surrounded by peers that, new things and knowing what my market value was to being all the way over here trying to figure out what I was worth and 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 how to get good enough to make more money and that's that's where there was a big struggle for a while um yeah so that's when things got sticky but then I found a tribe I found um some really good copywriter Facebook groups um I figured out that blogging the content stuff, you know, those long form articles that you see everybody has on their websites these days. Yeah. That was less me. And now it kind of seems so dumb that I didn't realize that I should be focusing on sales copy <laughs> because I sit here now and I tell you, this had to do with sales. This had to do with sales. And this had to do with psychology. This had to do with empathizing with people. And that's, these are some of the main ingredients for writing sales copy. And I completely missed it all because I was out here floating on an island on my own. <laughs> so it wasn't until I found that tribe that I started to realize, ah, this, this is like my, my zone of genius. You know, start, the Venn diagram started to close. Um, and, and that's where things really started to move the head and I, all the other side jobs fell away and, and this became um, my, my, my big baby. <laughs> well, I mean, and that, that was going to be one of my questions around how you found that particular niche. And I think, you know, going through the story and you're talking about those skills, those transferable skills that have or have emerged as you've gone through. So that empathy, that, that ability to develop relationships with people, uh, psychology, understanding how people behave and, and think and those sorts of things. Um, so 
it, as you say, you don't know why, why didn't you do it before? It, it, I guess it just takes you to get to a point to, to kind of realize that. And it is mm-hmm. always easier when you look backwards to say, well, yeah, yeah it, it was always obvious or it should have been obvious uh, sooner, <laughs> but um, I guess it's the power of hindsight. And the other thing I'd like to draw out there is you spoke about a tribe or finding your tribe. And uh, a lot of people do yeah. speak about that, but I don't think many people really take it to heart. Um, yeah, and I I, th- I know it sounds a little bit cheesy finding my tribe, and uh, I apologise for that. But um, it, it honestly, it really does make a big difference. And you know, you and I met each other through uh, a mentorship um, platform itself. So you know, and and the reason why I was drawn to that was because if only there'd been something like that for me, or I had found something like that for me seven years ago, where could I be now? You know, if, if there'd been those people around that could say, Helen, like, come on, this is, look, at you, listen to what you've just told me. Now, now plot out, you know, what you think you'd be good at based on that. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of people do maybe underestimate that. Yeah, no, I found it, I mean, extremely powerful and, um, and uh, yeah, talking about a growth mentor. So I, I have interviewed Foti on the podcast as well. Um, and I, I guess for people who might not have listened to that episode, uh, Foti is the, the founder of growthmentor.com, which is the, the, the platform that Helen and I both mentor on. And uh, I think, you know, in addition to the value that you hopefully add to mentees that are looking for advice, you do build up a network and, you know, you do find this, this, um, I guess, sense of belonging and you can reach out to people and have a chat and set up calls like this, you know, and, and talk mm-hmm. with someone on the other side of the world uh, about <laughs> their experience of, of um, you know, the career changes. So I think it, there certainly is so much value in finding that tribe. And like you say, you found it on a Facebook group or a number of Facebook groups. There's loads of platforms out there um, that, that you can go to and you can find people, that have either faced the same struggles or are facing the same struggles and, um, you know, can share advice. So that, that's a great, po- a great point you've made there. Mm. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about was, you know, so we've spoken very much about your career and in terms mm. of, you know, job and what it was you're going to do and how you found this niche in terms of uh, copywriting, but certainly there must've been a few challenges moving countries and, you know, it wasn't like you were, <laughs> you were moving from, an English speaking country to another English speaking country. Um, you know, what were some of the biggest yeah. challenges you faced in, in terms of that, I guess, physical move and, you know, being in a totally different culture? Well, I mean, I'm on a touristy Island, so there's a little bit of an expat thing going on. Um, I did try to learn Thai. I did try. I, there are 40, 44 consonants and 15 vowels and five tones (laughs) so you know i think maybe i'm gonna stick with being a master in english um but i can order in a restaurant um, my favorite dishes i can ask where the toilets are which is a really important question (laughs) um i can you know i can do basic you know um nice salutations and, and a little bit of chat along with some sign language and <laughs> pointing so yeah it's it's a tricky language to learn the culture is also very different um there it's quite a conservative uh quite a conservative country um you know people are by by their nature they tend not to show their emotions so much um as i'm used to 
and I'm British, right? So, you know, British people are supposed to be the ones with the brave face all the time <laughs> in Thai culture and, and a lot of Asian cultures. Um, the people don't necessarily let you know that they're upset. Um, you find out later. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so there, there are certain cultural things to navigate. Um, but because it's a fairly touristy area, most of the Thai people here are quite forgiving towards foreigners when we make a little faux pas. But, you know, there are certain things that you learn quite early on. And, it, you know, if you've got any sort of conscientiousness about you when you travel, then you will look up things, um, you know, the basics. So uh, actually, it's quite handy at the moment because the handshake isn't a thing here. Um, people okay. do the Y, which is like um, like the cupped hand, hands cupped like a lotus, right. and then a little head mm -hmm. bow. Um, so that's actually come into its own, and um, I think that the whole world should adopt that <laughs> as the greeting. <laughs> yeah, it has become quite awkward now with the the handshake or you know the elbow elbow bump and you know what what <laughs> what, what to do. Um, but um, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, and, and part of the reason for moving to a new country, I guess, is to experience those differences in culture, because um, I, I guess certainly that's where a lot of the, the, the fun is and, um, and, and, and character the, building. And the food here, the food is amazing. If you like spicy food, it, it's the place to be. Um, and you know, food is a, like a hugely important part of this culture. Maybe this is another thing that attracted me. Um, <laughs> but everything revolves around food. And um, one of the ways you can greet people in Thai, and sorry if there's any Thai speakers listening, but um, one phrase is gin kao yang. So instead of hello, did you eat yet? Okay. <laughs> That's actually a way of saying hello. Did you eat yet? That's how important food is here. And, and you'll see you know, people sharing their food and you know, big family get everything revolves around the meal um, here. And, and that's a big part of it. It's a Buddhist country as well. So that's very fascinating, understanding Buddhist culture. And I've been invited along to certain Buddhist ceremonies that I would you know, probably never have gone to experience, even though in a multicultural place like London. So yeah, definitely lots of different experiences, sounds, smells um here and i've managed to eat some mealworms and some crickets so yeah scored some points with the ties for eating crickets <laughs> it's always always worth being open to the local uh the local cuisine i suppose and it's um <laughs> some some great experiences there uh, so yeah. yeah um so thinking then about this 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 role that you're in now and um uh, you know copywriting helping customers succeed, helping them, you know, convert uh, their, their prospects into clients. What are the sort of key skills then that, that, that you think in addition to, and we've spoken about sales and psychology that you felt have, have kind of set you up for success and that you've been able to transfer through your career to really help you be successful now? So I think, you know, working at the ad networks, even before that, actually, even with email campaigns, with, with anything like that, you're, you're tracking metrics. Um, you have to not be scared of looking at numbers. Um, I guess the additional thing with the conversion copywriting is then getting used to qualitative data. So quantitative data and looking at numbers and stats and, and metrics on an ad campaign and seeing if it, if it backed out to... Uh, you know, a, a return on investment is one thing. Um, the other thing is getting used to being able to collect and analyze. Collecting is one thing, right? 
that people people get turned off by words like research um but actually what you're really doing is you're analyzing so yeah being able to not being afraid of numbers not being afraid of hard work because it's not always exciting i don't know maybe a lot of people have been watching mad men and they think that copywriters sit around and drink whiskey and they have like a lightning bolt idea and that's how ad campaigns are born but actually a lot of it is slogging through very unglamorous data to find the golden nuggets so, so um, certainly not the Hemingway in the workplace kind of um <laughs> unfortunately not you know unfortunately not um yeah I, I mean some some direct response copywriters um swear by having a whiskey and you know right Right sober, uh, right drunk, edit sober. <laughs> but uh, I'm afraid that doesn't work for me. That's not part of my process. It's not part of my three-step process. So yeah, being having an analytical mindset, not being afraid to um, jump into to data and research and analysis, um, and um, yeah, and also being like not having too much of an ego about what you write as well. So you may really hang on to an idea, you know, you it's, it's in your research, um, it's jumping out at you, you put it in the copy, the copy flops. And this is part of being a conversion copywriter is checking and validating if it's likely to work um, before you send it out into the world. So getting people to have a look through and asking them, what do you think this copy means? What do you think this copy sells? Uh, this company sells. And then being able to switch, flip, reverse it, um, once it goes live, like the job is not done. Once you just hand over this, it's not a piece of art that you're handing off to the client. It's it's a it's it's a moving, living, breathing thing. So yeah, being I guess like bit like liberating yourself from your ego a little bit. Something I'm still working on. <laughs> well, it's it's difficult. I mean, you you know when you when you write something or when you perhaps review a blog post that someone's done. And then you think, mm, I wouldn't have done it like this. And then you, you kind of want to make those changes, but you know, it's mm. not my blog post. Um, you know, so it's kind of difficult, I suppose, to perhaps divorce yourself from, uh, you know, your work because I guess, in, I guess writing is an art and, um, mm. but I'm really glad that you've touched on some of the, the, the hardest, uh, I guess the hardest skills in terms of things like understanding numbers and, being able to take a more empirical approach to saying, okay, well, I'm going to write two bits of copy, for example, mm -hmm. which one lands better for, you know, it's, it's, um, I would actually say that conversion copywriting is a lot more like assembling a puzzle because I'm using voice of customer data. So I'm interviewing tons of customers. I'm serving, surveying tons of customers. Then I'm figuring out which is the, what are the most important things to this type of customer. Um, and it's more like assembling a puzzle and then sprinkling a little creativity on top where it's needed. So like the spring, the, the creative part is really the, the icing on the cake. Um, but a lot of the work is in assembling this um, this puzzle and 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 yeah. So it, I, I guess there are other forms of writing where it is a lot more artistic and creative. Um, and I don't want to detract from the fact that there is an element of creativity. But a lot of the creativity is actually in solving the problem rather than coming up with flowery words. And you're quite right in in what you say about um, you know should I edit this or should I not when you're looking at a blog post. And this is where the research comes in handy. When I before I show a client what the copy 
is I take them through a process where I show them everything their customers have said. And they'll often be copy that has been come straight up of their customers' mouths. So they might think, oh, that's a strange word. We don't describe it like that. And I can say, well, out of your, all your customers, here are like 20 instances where they described it as weak deal flow is their biggest problem, which is like not something that I would have necessarily come up with on my own. Right. So you don't actually need to then have those such complicated decisions about every piece of the copy. You've actually got proof for why you put it there. And that's the beauty of, of that process. Yeah. So, so more, more, uh, yeah, more scientific approach, kind of less mysticism, mm. I, I, I guess. So that's an interesting way you've described it out there. And if, if people were thinking about copywriting as a career, um, and, and I guess there's, 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 there's different aspects of, of copywriting. I know, uh, my sister spent some time in, in the industry or well, she's still in the industry before moving on to more of a marketing role, but it was very much around kind of just PR based, um, stuff, mm-hmm. but where I guess where you're really looking at writing copy, uh, that, that's, that's conversion, um, well, to, to drive conversions. What would you, what advice would you give to people thinking about that as a career? I would say do it. It's brilliant. It's loads of fun. There's room for more. Um, Literally, nothing gets bought or sold on the internet without a copywriter being involved. You know, even if that copywriter is the owner of the mom and pop shop. Um, You know, in fact, I would urge everybody to learn a little bit about copywriting, everyone in marketing to learn a little bit about copywriting, everyone in sales to learn a little bit about copywriting. Um, Because what it really boils down to is is understanding people, understanding what motivates them. And I'm not talking about sleazy persuasion tactics. I'm talking about how to help people identify whether this is really the solution for them. So I I think get into it. Um, There are some great blogs out there. I recommend... um, copy hackers uh blog and uh that's joanna weeb's agency and she also has amazing courses i do not get a kickback for those courses so um don't worry there's no affiliate kickback for me but her she also does brilliant free um tutorials on there there's a facebook group called the copywriter club and fantastic for newbies and really welcoming that's where that was when I first found my tribe. So go and check those out. Come and connect with me on LinkedIn. I've got thousands of copywriter friends. Um, and we are generally a really friendly bunch. Um, so yeah, I mean, get involved. Don't get stuck reading all the books for too long. Don't get stuck doing things for cheap too long. Um, you know, get feedback from peers if you can. Um, yeah, those, I guess those are the things. Yeah, finding, finding the tribe, finding network peers. Also stalk your ideal customer in the least creepy way possible. Um, <laughs> understand what motivates them, get used to doing that because you're going to be doing that for your clients next. Um, so that means following people on social media that you would, would might be your ideal customer. Um, also, you can reach out to your own, own network. You know, you've had jobs before. You've got friends, you've got family. Do they have businesses? Do they need to sell something? Um, I've, got, I've got peers as well that have even, um, you know, just sold something on eBay or they've got, you know, they're doing a garage sale, but they're going to do it on Craigslist or Gumtree or where, from wherever you are in the world. You can cut your teeth on, on trying copy selling, you know, something you don't even want anymore, your old boots. 
Um, so you could, there are loads of ways that you can practice. (laughs) Um, there are loads of ways to get practice. Just don't get stuck in, stuck in, um, study mode for too long. Um, because you really only start to learn when you start to write. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, I think that's sage advice. Um, and also, I mean, the resources you listed out are great. So I'll write those up in the show notes. So listeners can go and follow those links. Um, I guess you've probably preempted my next question to a degree. And you know, the question I had was, how do you ensure that you continue, you know, you as Helen continue to grow your skills and how do you stay relevant, especially being in, I guess, a, a distant place? Like you say, you're not in the center of London. You're not surrounded by 20 colleagues. Um, what, what sort of approaches do you use? Yeah, so I'm always learning. So I never stop reading new books. Um, they may be from, they may be about copywriting or advertising. They may be something else. So, book I just started reading, which is quite popular, um, doing the rounds, is um, "Never Split the Difference" by Chris Voss. He is a an ex hostage negotiator, um, and he yeah, went that would that and, would be bad bad tactic for hostage negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I continue to read. I continue to network with my peers. Um, I can, I still take courses, you know, I still take courses, even if there's one nugget that, um, improves my process, um, then it, you know, it, it can pay off dividends. Um, so yeah, I, it's an ongoing process. So I don't think you ever stop, you know, honing your skills. Again, sage advice. I think, um, yeah, constant personal development. And uh, as you said, and I've also heard about copywriting before, you know, to write better, you need to read more. Uh, yes. And so, so that's some, some really good advice because I know so many people don't read and I'm still flabbergasted by that. Uh, oh, I read a lot of fiction, uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I can't sleep unless I'm reading fiction on my Kindle. It's like part mm-hmm. of my routine. So, you know, it's not just about reading copy, you know, sales copy. I, you know, you can get some great uh, inspiration from all different types of, of writing um, and reading and absorbing. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's some, some great advice. So as I said, I'll write these all up in the show notes. Um, awesome. You mentioned the book, Never Split the Difference. Uh, are there any other books that you'd recommend that, that listeners should pick up? Absolutely. Um, it's going to escape me now. Finding the Right Message by Jen Havis, the second edition. The first edition was amazing. She's just come out with a second edition. If you, um, if you are perhaps not in the position to hire a copywriter and you need to kind of bootstrap some copy yourself, um, she has a brilliant framework there that you can follow that's very easy. Um, it's also a great, um, a great guide for copywriters. You know, I, I've got peers that are 10 steps ahead of me in the game that went and bought her book and love it. So yeah, I would go and read finding the right message. And then there are loads of, um, you know, Ogilvy on advertising and all these kinds of old books. But if you go and have a check out, if you check out the copywriter club, they've actually got like a list of resources that are like free or cheap beginning, like the the first books you should read. Um, and William Zisner on writing. Well, it's like a great book, very easy to read. Um, so yeah, I would recommend that as well. It's not too hectic, not too heavy. <laughs> All right, don't want to put anyone off. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's super. I mean, that's um, that that's some really good um, some some good resources there. And I mean, it's interesting you say you don't want to put people off. Uh, and I guess we we spoke about this briefly before, and it might have been more pertinent asking it at the beginning of the show. But in terms of, 
I think most people know what, what copywriting is. Many people don't. And I guess it's thinking about um, maybe constructing your elevator pitch, being able to explain it to your parents. Um, mm-hmm. And if you had to say to your, your parents, what is it that you do? Um, well, yes. <laughs> you had an interesting- so I know that you've asked this of your other guests. So um, I... Instead of me trying to describe it to my parents, I asked my mum, what is, I, uh, okay, so me to mum on Facebook Messenger. Mum, I have a question for you. How would you describe what I do for a living? She said, she writes back, LOL, because she's down with the kids, you know. <laughs> LOL, well, I know it's called copywriting. Okay, that's a good start. <laughs> um, is it writing for a company to describe their products and give testimonials to promote those products or services? Sort of advertising? Bleep. Am I anywhere near? So yeah, there was a little bit of swearing in there. And kiss kiss because it was from mum. So it's, she, she's close. You know, I don't write the testimonials, but I think she's heard me talking about doing customer interviews. Um, so you know, I, maybe I need to work on my elevator pitch when I talk to friends and family because it's pretty clear to my ideal customers. Um, if my LinkedIn headline is, you know, I write B2B copy for SaaS and, and tech companies, <laughs> I'm going to help you get more conversions. It's pretty simple um, for that audience, but like maybe not so simple for my mum. So I'm going to work on that. <laughs> Yeah, no, the the elevator pitches is, is is important, and um, I guess it's been able to kind of get your message across quickly about what it is you do, and I, I, that's obviously relevant for all professions and um, and and careers. So, again, a useful exercise for 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 the listeners to to go and do. Yeah, I mean, really, it's it's that should be like you know, th- that's one of the first exercises I have to do is help people with their unique value prop, um, and uh, you know, it, it's always. I find it always easier to to do that with a client than I do for myself. Um, you know, cobbler's shoes and all of that. Uh, I think I've got it honed in for my audience, but it, it's ever evolving. I'm never quite happy with it. I think that's mindset. <laughs> that, that's that's already another good exercise to do because you know you, you're speaking about in the context of your clients in terms of what their proposition is or their unique proposition is to their customers. Uh, mm. And in the same way, you know, um, people in whatever career they're in should be thinking about what their proposition is to employers or, you know, you know whichever mode they, they're wanting to work, whether it's contracting or consulting or, you know, working for a corporate is thinking Absolutely. about what, what, what is it that makes you different to everybody else and and why is that difference important to the person you're selling to whether it's um, a hiring manager or a client it doesn't really matter what they are whether you're going for a job or you're freelance or contract or consulting um but yeah that's like um that's what i think dave gerhardt was calling the wedge the other day okay dave gerhardt from drift and very very talented marketer so that's your wedge is that differentiator that matters to your client that no one else quite has so um yeah discovering that um and uncovering that and then making it clear um that's really important um, and, and a lot of people struggle with that and you know could probably benefit from I, I guess someone like yourself well, yeah, <laughs> helping I mean, them to figure that out and if, that's, if, if for their career yeah so I mean that's the sort of thing we we often talk about when people are asking for advice and um, you know it's kind of difficult if, if I uh, I don't know you know take take um 
take a um, consultant, you know, um, you know, you're not, anyone's not going to be the best consultants in the world. There's always going to be people that are better than you, uh, you know, whether it's the likes of, I, I can't remember who, what his name was, but that started Boston Consulting Group. You know, it's, it's going to be difficult, probably, you know, reaching that level or perhaps someone like Alan Weiss or whatever it is. But, you know, it's taking that skill that you may be okay at or good enough at and thinking about the other ones you have. So you spoke about mm -hmm. the Venn diagram earlier on and saying, okay, well, in addition to this, what else am I good at? Okay, I'm, you know, I'm really good at working with SaaS companies, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe what's the third thing you're good at? And then you start niching down a little and you can find what that unique proposition is and, you know, what is, what is it that you can do that many others can't? Uh, and I think yeah. it's too many people get hung up on saying, well, you know, uh, what, I need to be the best. Uh, you know, what am I the best at? And, you know, unless you, someone like Usain Bolt, that's the fastest runner in the world, um, it's going to be very difficult to, I think, pitch yourself at, at But they, he won't necessarily be the best marathon runner in the world, right? That's, so that's there are true. many different <laughs> types of runner. So that's where niching is quite important and interesting as well. You know, you mentioned like with me, it's B2B SaaS, but that's where niching can give you a real advantage as well. So, you know, if you're going after a specific target market, instead of saying, you know, I coach everyone, <laughs> you know, people aren't saying that, hopefully, you know, that yeah. I'm a business coach for everybody. You know, hopefully there is something, you know, specific about that makes you the best coach for that kind of person and signal it loud and clear for them. So if I see, and actually I have joined a group, a mindset um, mentoring group, the, the lady is a business coach, but she was also a copywriter and my peers go to her. So, you know, that's her unique value prop. There are lots of business coaches. There are lots of people offering mindset and um, help with mindset. Um, but she is someone who does it for copywriters and she has done it for copywriters. I know. So that is her wedge, you know, yeah, <laughs> she, well, that's a... and it's, it's quite a special niche, but there's plenty of copywriters with imposter syndrome and one of them sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good point you make. Um, and I think as you described, um, you know, your coach in terms of, of bringing coaching skills and copywriting skills together, I hope the same theme has emerged um, from listeners listening to you describing how you brought those skills together to, to find your niche, because um, I think, you know, that's where the value is in, 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 uh, you know, describing out what your skills are and being able to think how you're going to package those. So um, yeah. Yeah. And no, I really do hope that, that, uh, that is a message that listeners take away. Um, so yeah, no, Me it's, too. Been, <laughs> it's, it's been really awesome. I'm so glad you could give up the time, especially as it's, it's eating into your, your evening now. So I really do appreciate it. Um, Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been really fun chatting with you. And I got to talk about myself a lot. One of my favorite subjects. Brilliant. You might have to have you on the show again there. So um, you mentioned your LinkedIn profile. So I'll share that on the, the listener notes as well. Mm -hmm. um, if there's any other ways that you'd like uh, listeners to get hold of you or learn more about you, um, if you have a website, uh, we always LinkedIn the best. Okay. Uh, LinkedIn is the best. Um, there's, I, I have another side project, but we won't get into that now. Um, that's called the product on borders, the product on borders.com, but that's very focused on SaaS businesses. But the best way, if people are thinking about making a kind of a, a big leap like I have, or they're thinking about getting into copywriting, definitely LinkedIn is like the place to find me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, my DMS are pretty open. Um, just don't be creepy. 
that's it really yeah that's great great piece, <laughs> great piece of advice and um <laughs> So thanks again. I mean, yeah, it's been really, really great having you on the show. Uh, thanks for all the insight and the tips you shared. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners do as well. And um, yeah, I hope to chat soon. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, love to do it again sometime. I've enjoyed it too. Thanks. Well, what a great adventure that was. And again, thank you so much to Helen for sharing her story and her time with us. There were so many insights that I took away from that. And I just wanted to share a few of those key insights before we end the show. Uh, Again, I'll write them up in the show notes. So feel free to go ahead and read those, of course, along with the resources that Helen has shared with us. So I think when we talked about formal education and uh, I guess uh, higher education, Uh, one of the things that Helen said was important was following something that you're passionate about. And I think this is really key because throughout your career, it's good to have something that you're passionate about. And that's going to, I think, give you the the satisfaction that you need from your job, um, you know, rather than it just being a kind of paycheck driven uh, career. Uh, Keeping a curious mind was another great bit of advice that, that stood out, you know, continue learning, keep developing your skills, use networking, read, use online courses to keep uh, developing skills, have that curious mind, mind, keep asking questions. Uh, Helen also spoke about a part-time job. And again, this has come up so many times in the podcast interviews around um, people having part-time jobs. And again, the value that you get out of having that part-time job, that introduction to the working world. So again, a really good piece of advice there. Uh, Helen also spoke about starting to listen to your customer Uh, you know, being able to empathize with people and asking yourself the question, how can I help this person succeed? Now, obviously that was in relation to her business as a conversion copywriter, but this is a sage piece of advice that I think all of us can apply when working with customers or working with colleagues or, you know, even dealing with family and friends, for example, how can I help this person succeed? Um, You know, really bring empathy to, to that relationship and that interaction Moving to Thailand, Helen spoke about it being more of a pull than a push. And again, I think this was a really great point to uh, to have made. Uh, a pull often just tends to leave you looking back. Uh, sorry, my apologies. A push tends to leave you looking back. And a pull is something that really takes you forward and is probably the right reason to do something. So again, think about those career changes you want to make or those career transitions. Think about push versus pull. And how about and how those different, uh, I guess, modes will um, possibly affect the outcome. Another great piece of advice that Helen shared was look ahead at at those on the rungs above you. So if you're climbing the corporate career ladder, you know, uh, look at those people that are more senior or more experienced and think, you know, are those the roles that I aspire to? What would it be like in one, two, three, five, ten years or whatever? Is that the position that I want to be in? Is that the role I aspire to? And that will give you some clarity in terms of what your career direction might look like. Another great piece of advice was, um, and again, Helen used this in relation to selling her services online, and that she believed that her value was, uh, you know, determined by the prices listed on those websites. And again, you know, it's... um, the same can be said as thinking about your job that you, you're in. Um, you know, is your value equally or accurately represented by your salary, for example? You know, and, and ask yourself the question. Think about that when you're thinking about a pay rise. Is You know, can you justify 
that pay rise, you know, or are you overvalued? Are you undervalued? Again, some really good examples and some good things to think about. In terms of uh, skills, and this is the advice that Helen offered as well to people that wanted to or were thinking about a career in copywriting, but but again, this is relevant to, I think, every career, career is don't be scared of looking at the numbers. You know, don't be afraid of hard work. These are great skills. I mean, you know, none of us should be afraid of hard work, but certainly having a bit of um, skill around numbers and the ability to look at numbers, these are all very important skills and will, will serve you well. Uh, Helen also recommended don't get stuck reading the books, you know, get out there and practice your trade, whatever it is you do, you know, get get some experience, get working, you know, don't just get stuck in books and, and online courses. Uh, Helen talked about stalking your ideal customer. And again, you know, this is equally applicable when you're looking at the career world and you are looking at employment opportunities. Stalk your ideal employer, you know, not in a scary way or a weird way, as we said, but look at those organizations, learn more about them, you know, learn about what makes them tick, understand what the company culture is like, understand what the people are like that work there. And this will help, I guess, not only land you in a good place in terms of having conversations with those potential employers, but also determining is that employer um, the right employer for you. And then I think the last bit that I've noted here was around really reaching out to your own network. Uh, again, there's so much value to be had in building those relationships and working with people in your own network. So again, a really good piece of advice there. So that's it for episode 19. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you do like the show, please go ahead and subscribe to it. It's available on all your favorite platforms and uh Please do also leave a review. As I said, I love hearing back from, from listeners. Um, not all the podcast platforms have the ability to leave a review. So, um, yeah, that is what it is. But uh, do feel free to get hold of me via the LinkedIn page, um, via the email address, which is info at agilecareerpodcast.com. Uh, just send me a note and I will definitely reply. Thanks again for your time. And I look forward to talking to you in the next show. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.